if you're new to this whole world of baby led weaning and starting solid foods, you might still be on the fence as to whether this approach is going to work for you. And if that's the case, I want to send you my free feeding guide called Will Baby Led Weaning Work for My Baby? This is a guide that contains a decision tree map that you can work your way through to determine if this is the right approach for you guys and then when it's time to start. Grab your copy of Will Baby Led Weaning Work for My Baby on my website at babyledweaning.co slash resources. I was doing my breakfast dishes this morning, turned the garbage disposal on, and then heard that terrible noise when you know something is in the disposal, but like you can totally tell the damage has already been done. Sure enough, it was an easy peasy tiny spoon, totally shredded, which if I've learned anything about these baby lead weaning spoons from Easy Peasy is that the garbage disposal and the dog both love them. And I was bummed because it's one of my favorite colors that they make, the light gray line, which is called pewter. But my garbage disposal disaster, I guess it came at just the right time because Easy Peasy is having their annual Mother's Day sale from this Friday to Sunday, so May 10th to 12th. You can get 20% off all of the Easy Peasy feeding gear with the affiliate discount code BLWMOM on orders of $50 or more. So this is a great time to stock up at 20% off because my regular Easy Peasy code is usually only for 10% off. So this bump up to 20% off is nice, but it's just for three days. So head to easypeasyfun.com to grab tiny spoons, their tiny cups, and the best suction mats and bowls for baby lead weaning. They have a really cool new bundle maker on their website if you want to group or piece a few items together or If you just don't want to think about it, then just grab one of the Easy Peasy First Foods sets. It has everything you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods with baby led weaning. That code is BLWMOM for 20% off Easy Peasy orders of $50 or more now through Sunday, May 12th at easypeasyfun.com. And happy Mother's Day to you. The ramifications of homemade infant formula, that cost benefit of long-term renal failure, cardiac arrest, changes in the shaping of the bone of the infant. If infant formula is not available, this is when you tap into your community. Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding, leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby led weaning. Can you realistically make a replica of human milk or commercial infant formula using ingredients you find in your home kitchen? No, absolutely not. Full stop. End of discussion. But do people on TikTok show you how to make homemade infant formula? Oh yeah, you can bet that. And this whole homemade infant formula trend has really picked up steam in light of the commercial infant formula shortage. And yet this is an incredibly dangerous practice with very serious consequences for infants. My guest today is Dr. Farrell Bertman, and she is the author of a recently published article in the Journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics called The Risk of Homemade Infant Formula, Historical and Contemporary Considerations. So the Journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics is the publication, the peer-reviewed publication of the Professional Association for Dietitians. So I am a dietitian. Dr. Bertman is a PhD dietitian, and she's also a senior lecturer at the University of Vermont in their Nutrition and Food Sciences Department. And I have to admit, I was pretty surprised to see this practice article in our journal since there is not a lot of concrete data on homemade infant formula. And yet we know, of course, anecdotally, that it's a thing if you have spend five minutes, you know, cruising infant feeding content on TikTok, you can't help but see homemade infant formula recipes that are being passed around and at great expense. And so I read this article and it was really well done, accompanied by some really scary case studies and references to documented instances of infants being harmed by these homemade infant formulas. So I wanted to interview Dr. Bertman because her team who wrote this article, they had some unique perspectives on the underlying root causes of homemade infant formulas. So Dr. Bertman inside of this interview is going to be going through actually three of the CDC case studies documenting harm to infants by this you know, seemingly popular trendy practice. And this is definitely a conversation that's longer than most of our interviews. But I think that if you who are listening are at all interested in the intersection of food security and nutrition assistance, as well as the topics of inclusive and equitable approaches to community-based nutrition education, My hope is that you will find some value in learning from Dr. Bertman, as I know I certainly did. I had a lot of opinions about homemade infant formula and the people who do it coming into this interview. And I can't say that she changed all of them, but she certainly opened my eyes to some of the realities 
surrounding, again, what is a concerning trend in social media. So a lot of our discussion speaks to more of the concepts and larger constructs of healthism. We talk about health halos, as well as the very damaging impact of social media. And when dangerous practices are passed off as trends or when uncredentialed individuals are providing nutrition and feeding advice, we see real, true harm. These aren't just trends that will pass. These are actual people harming other infants and not meaning to do that. So we're going to talk about some of those underlying causes. It's a little bit heavy, I have to admit. But Dr. Bertman's article from the Journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, again, it's entitled The Risk of Homemade Infant Formula, Historical and Contemporary Considerations. I'm going to link that up in the show notes for this episode at blwpodcast.com slash 252. And I'll also share some of the other resources and source documents that she talks about and cites. So with no further ado, here is Dr. Farrell Bertman talking about the risk of homing infant formula. Great to be here. I'm really excited to do this. I have to say, I was so intrigued when I saw your professional practice article in the Journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And it was about the risk of homemade infant formulas. And I think like a lot of dietitians, I get the journal and I like thumb through it. And I'm like, 99% of this is like not pertaining to what I do. And I was like, whoa, the risk of homemade infant formula. Like I was reading every single word. I was so impressed by the research. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about it, but just real quick before we get into it, could you share a little bit about your background and where you work and what you do for work? Yeah, happy to do so. Um, So I am at the University of Vermont. I am a senior lecturer and I'm also the program director for our coordinated program with a master's of dietetics. So I have dietetic interns that are in the field right now today. And I was teaching undergraduate classes, but now I'm teaching more of this, this graduate program. My research involves food insecurity, nutrition assistance programs, I'm working heavily on inclusive practices within health promotion. So I've been working on a more weight neutral sort of equity, diversity, inclusion lens to health promotion. And with that, a lot of work on health equity, which brought me to this article. And it really started with my dissertation years ago. And what was that on? So I was looking at, um, I'm a qualitative researcher. I do do some quantitative research, but I, I really love to work with folks who are having experiences around food and feeding infants and and managing their households and all of the different drivers that lead them to making choices around their health. And so um, for my dissertation, I was looking at the WIC program and I was really curious back uh, during that time, during my dissertation, there was vouchers for fruit and vegetable redemption. And um, folks in the state where I was doing my dissertation, Arizona, were not using them at the same level as other states. And so I went to WIC clinics and I interviewed moms. I also, I interviewed moms in English. I do not speak Spanish, but I worked with a translator to interview moms in Spanish. And we just looked at why folks were not utilizing these programs. And it it complemented other interests. I'm also a clinical lactation manager. Um, And so sort of coming together between the WIC and breastfeeding support and stigma really I think was a nice on-ramp for this paper. So I recently interviewed Darlena Birch from the National WIC Association. And we were talking a lot about the proposed changes to the WIC program. And she was explaining a lot about the fruit and vegetable voucher and how far it's come. So we're kind of familiar with where it is now. I'm just curious, why were the WIC participants in Vermont not utilizing the vouchers? It was actually, I did my doctoral work in Arizona. Oh, it was in Arizona. Okay. I was like, how, yeah, how many Spanish speakers are in Vermont? But I don't know. Yeah, well, um, more than I think, people are really dialing in on, but it was one of the biggest barriers is you have your young child, you're coming to the point of pay. And if something doesn't qualify, or there was a a misunderstanding about what you can purchase at the point of pay, there were some uncomfortable interactions and folks were thinking like, this isn't worth it. I just left my house have um, my infant in tow. And now um, folks are being less helpful at the point of sale. And um, it's just uncomfortable. And, you know, at the time for five or $7 a month of fruits and vegetables, it just ended up wasn't worth it. not being worth it. Interesting. Yeah. So not surprisingly, the topic of homemade infant formula is of interest in this era of formula shortage. We had the former Politico journalist, Helena bottomiller Evich on our podcast recently. So that was an episode all about unpacking the infant formula recall and formula shortage. 
I'm going to link to that in the show notes because I know people who are listening to this episode are interested in formula and possibly the shortage. But our audience is, for the most part, familiar with some of the underlying causes of the shortage. But these homemade infant formula recipes, I know parents are seeing a lot of them online, social media, primarily TikTok. And as a dietitian and a mom, it's just so concerning to me for a number of reasons, not specializing in food safety. I'm not an IBCLC. I'm just like, wow, you are definitely not replicating human milk with your homemade recipe. So just share with us, please, what are the significant health risks or the potential for significant health risks from making infant formula at home? So Katie, I'm just going to like hard hit what the biggest problems are. And if you don't mind, I also brought some case studies um, because I just think it really, not only are we thinking about what the problems are, but we can see how this results in, in problems with infants. So first is inadequate nutrition. So there are standards, there are standards around protein, carbohydrates, fats, or vitamins and minerals. And if you are making homemade infant formula, you are not meeting the recommended amounts but also the bioavailability of these nutrients. And so what we end up seeing is that in particular anemia, so iron deficiency, we also see um, signs of rickets. We see some low levels of calcium. We are seeing some, some scurvy. So that's around that bioavailability. But what I find even more concerning is how homemade infant formula impacts kidney health. The, the kidney helps remove waste and sort of too many nutrients within the system, among other things. And in developing infants, there is a distinct sensitivity to the function of the kidney when it is, it is developing in the youngest person. And so if there is an imbalance, an electrolyte imbalance, um, or, or any type of imbalance coming from homemade infant formula, it can cause kidney damage. It can lead to dehydration. It can lead to electrolyte imbalances. Next is a food safety risk. So many of the homemade infant formula recipes, and I actually just took another quick look before I jumped on here, are suggesting things like raw milk, unpasteurized milk. I saw that. I was like, so now we're adding the raw milk situation and potential for health problems on top of the inadequate nutrition and whatever else you're going to enumerate. And I mentioned that I'm at the University of Vermont. One of my co colleagues who just retired, she specializes in like the many, the suite of problems for adults when they're consuming raw milk, including there are some, in, in some cases, there's tuberculosis, um, there's listeria. I mean, these are things that will already create potentially deadly problems in adults, not to mention, you know, the dose response in a small, in, a, in an infant. Also, you know, just the safe handling and the preparation and the storage is an issue. And then lastly, in the top four is uh, allergic reactions. When you're mixing different milks, I saw some nut milks. It's just, there can be an increased risk of allergic reaction, um, especially in, again, these vulnerable infants. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you've been thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's a convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online experience. All you do is just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I used to think therapy was just for people who have experienced major trauma, but therapy can help you be at your best no matter what you're going through. So whether it's to learn new positive coping skills, set more realistic boundaries, or just show up as a better version of yourself, BetterHelp is here to help. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit betterhelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. And Dr. Bertman, I know a lot of like the raw milk, we actually don't talk a ton about raw milk on the podcast because we don't substitute cow's milk in place of infant milk, be that formula or breast milk until after age one. And my audience is primarily six to 12 months. But just um, anecdotally, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Nepal after college. And I lived in a very rural community where even the poorest of the poor people with very limited resources, they scalded their milk. And I remember a girl in our group was with a family that didn't have the money for peat, firewood. They were drinking raw milk. She got brucellosis. The 
incredible and rapid decline in her health. She had to leave the program and she was so ill for so long. She actually eventually got better, came back like almost towards the end of our service. So two, it was almost a two year recovery from drinking quote unquote raw milk, no fault of her own, but just so sad to see that in real life and see that there really are real life consequences. There is a reason why even communities around the world, quote unquote, pasteurize their milk. It has nothing to do with taste, nutrition, et cetera. It is to kill the potentially harmful pathogens that can be in raw milk. Exactly. I have some case studies I would love to share with you. Oh, please. I would love to hear more. Again, I like that you guys published a peer review, published like a practice article in the journal. And we're going to talk about that. But sometimes hearing the other stories, when you see one mom doing it on TikTok, let's hear about the mom who got really sick from this that you don't see on TikTok or the baby. Exactly. I'm happy to provide that. In a moment, I would also love to just make this connection between raw milk and healthism. And that is a part of the impetus for this paper is we wrote this paper before the shortage and we were noticing that there were groups of people that were turning to TikTok, Instagram, blogs for homemade infant formula. And I think it speaks to the raw milk. There is this sense that for whatever reason, that might be a healthier choice. But we recognize that in when we're distilling nutrition information down to like these incremental ingredients, we actually end up doing incredible harm, especially when we're involving an infant that has that dose response. And I'm just so fascinated by groups of people who fit into this category. And, and I certainly see this in Vermont with some unexplained halos around certain types of foods that are actually end up being deadly in some cases, as you just explained with your experience. We see it in infant feeding a lot of times with protein, this, you know, undeserved health halo that protein gets in the adult population. Adults don't understand there is no storage form of protein in the human body. And that for infants, when they're prioritizing protein and promoting keto diets, it's like, do you understand the way the physiology of the developing kidney works and the renal solute load and their inability to remove the nitrogenous waste products? Like, no, because you're getting your nutrition advice from social media. Exactly. And that's exactly what we're seeing with the kidney damage that's coming from the homemade infant formula. So if you don't mind, I'm going to share with you another published set of case studies that when they came across my desk, I saw these after we published this article, or at least after we submitted the final version of this article. And it just really reiterated the importance of messaging around the safety with homemade infant formula. And I'm happy to send you a, a PDF. Yeah, we'll get a copy of those if you don't mind. And then we'll link to them in the show notes for this episode on blwpodcast.com. So this is coming from the CDC Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report. This was published on August 20th, 2021. And the author was Kaleo and colleagues. And so what I've done is I, I looked through this and I've kind of broken it down so that it's more accessible for your audience. So they looked at between August 2020 and February 2021, they looked at cases, emergency room, emergency department cases where an infant was fed homemade infant formula and um, there was an adverse reaction. So they say that this happened in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware, and it was directly linked to nutritional deficiency of homemade infant formulas. and. In case one, it was a four-month-old. This infant was unresponsive with cardiac arrest. The infant survived, but experienced brain injury. And the bone loss was so much because of those low calcium levels that there are now irregularities in that infant's long bones. So um, that's case one. Case two is a five-month-old. The infant became stiff turned blue, stopped breathing, and that is when emergency um, medical professionals were called. They found that the bones had lost so much calcium that there are also irregularities in the bones, um, and it's similar to rickets. So um, we would think of that as, although they didn't talk about bowed-leggedness in the infant, that that was also the case. Both of the first two infants recovered, with the exception of the brain injury in case one. Now, case three is a nine-month-old. And in case three, this infant was not growing properly. The forehead bone was protruding, again, directly linked to homemade infant formula. So now we have a facial irregularity and 
when it's a change in in the growth of the bone, that is very hard to overcome. Is that due to the underlying like irregular brain development? What would cause a forehead bone to protrude? You know, they were saying in this case, again, that it's hypokalemia. So I just think that, I mean, I'm completely guessing here, but thinking about in these cases where the body was low on calcium, so it was seeking calcium wherever it could get. I'm wondering if part of that calcium, the blood calcium levels were taken from the facial structure leading to an irregularity. This is, is this, I don't know for sure, but that would potentially be a connection there. So where do the case studies come from, Dr. Bertman? So these were identified by the CDC. So this most likely the doctors within the emergency room saw these irregularities and reported them to the CDC. And then the CDC took these cases and um, and published them. I just wanted to also mention that this case three, the nine-month-old, has also irregularities in their long bones. And they mentioned the Boeing. This child uh, was discharged to a long-term care facility. At nine months of at age. At nine oh months of age. So that's implying that they're it looks like permanent damage. They're not able to go home. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Again, this is what you don't see on social media, the consequences of messing with nutrition. What would be the circumstances where someone would be considering making a homemade infant formula? When we wrote this practice paper, we could not have imagined the infant formula shortage that we experienced recently. At the time of writing the paper, just a, a categorical, no, absolutely not. I still stand by that statement. When I explain to you the ramifications of homemade infant formula, that sort of cost-benefit of long-term renal failure, of cardiac arrest, of changes in sort of the, the shaping of the bone of the infant, if infant formula is not available, this is when you tap into your community. You work with nutrition assistance programs. You get on a listserv and ask, can somebody help source? You um, go to a food bank. The cost of homemade infant formula is such that there are mechanisms to access commercial infant formula. If you are sort of in that, the broader feeding population, If you have an infant that requires a very specialized formula, that is when you get on the phone with your primary care physician and you explain to them the urgency and they will work with their network to get the infant formula. And those are for this, again, guys, that's the specialty formulas. We are talking about medically fragile children who are already requiring a special infant formula that they cannot be on your traditional cow's milk or soy-based formula because of either allergies or severe illness. And to be honest, we've done a lot of coverage on this. They are the most severely impacted by the infant formula shortage. So taking the shortage out of it, because again, your paper, you guys started, you proposed this in April, 2020, right? Like month two of the pandemic, long before the infant formula shortage was a quote unquote known problem in reality. So outside of the shortage, what are other reasons why people are on TikTok making their own infant formula recipes? Yeah. So we really, um, looking at the literature and speaking with professionals in the field, we dialed into three key reasons why people would use homemade infant formula. The first is what I refer to as healthism. And healthism, it's sort of a, a modern interest in the pursuit of specific foods and beverages that reduce disease risk and um, people believe will enhance um, physiological function. However, we find that with healthism, it takes such a a sort of reductionist, specific, sort of minuscule, um, like losing the forest for the trees approach that you start to ignore the holistic approach to health. And there is a whole suite of considerations when we are feeding an infant. So I mentioned a moment ago about raw milk. Raw milk would be an example of healthism where Somebody at some point gave somebody the impression that raw milk has this health halo. And I want to believe that people are coming from the best that they can do for their infant because they are not working with a registered dietitian or their primary care physician. That person who shared with them that health halo has led them to believe that this reductionist view, this type, this ingredient is better for infants. 
as I've already mentioned, this ingredient can lead to long-term and possibly deadly health consequences. So as a registered dietitian, what I need to work on is creating a conversation with my client in a way that I'm reducing barriers so people can share with me why they have these health beliefs, where they're getting their information, and how we can, without putting somebody on the defensive, leads to what I think is the ultimate goal, which is providing the best nutrients for their infant. And as a registered dietitian, of course, that's going to be evidence-based. So that's one. The next is food insecurity and food access. And it is incredibly complicated. With our current economic situation, um, we recognize that infant formula can be expensive. So coming up with ways to connect people with nutrition assistance programs, with support, with their primary care physician. We also recognize that in 2019, there was some concern around some legislation as it relates to immigration status. We call it the public charge and concerns around sort of this public charge law. Um, That is not in effect. That has, there was an executive order that stopped the public charge, but we recognize that some people might worry about using public assistance, whether it's WIC or SNAP or other support systems. That's dependent upon their immigration status. Because of their immig- so we're talking about 2019 Trump era policies currently not in effect because Biden shot them down, whatever the official terminology is. And you guys, you covered this in the article, which I was like, heck yeah. I mean, that's reality. Like we're talking about a massive government program, the WIC program, which is, you know, it serves half of the babies born in this country. The largest Purchaser. I mean, every time I hear that statistic, that's the one that just blows my mind. We do so much WIC content. We have so many wonderful WIC moms and educators in our community. And it's like, this is half of all babies born in the U.S. We can't pretend like politics doesn't play a role in this. And especially with the shortage, we've kind of talked a lot about the different state contracts and we don't have time to get into it. But I appreciate you guys addressing the political realities that trickle down and affect parents. And it goes back to misinformation. Just like with healthism, there is some misinformation. The fact that there might be a documentation issue using WIC is not not accurate. And so I would recommend in that case, utilize nutrition assistance programs. If you're in doubt, use a free legal aid program. We have one right down the street here in Vermont. Check in, make sure that any of the programs that you want to utilize are okay. But WIC is not going to have ramifications. Using the food bank is not going to have ramifications, even if in the future, for whatever reason, that law is reinstated. There are some cultural beliefs that have to do with just sort of heritage practices that we we have, um, we're aware of. And so again, just being mindful of what people are bringing to the conversation and just making sure that there is um, a way to keep that conversation going and not being stigmatizing. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And I know you teach college-level nutrition and you run the dietetics program and the master's program. I'm, I teach in the undergraduate nutrition program at San Diego State University, and I teach our cultural foods class, which I would love to learn more because, you know, we have the students actually do a whole assignment on infant feeding practices around the world in different cultures. And we've talked a lot about the introduction of solid foods, yet we've never addressed the use of homemade infant formulas in situations where that might be a cultural belief or a heritage practice. So I'd love to learn more about what you guys have found as a way to possibly incorporate that because it is true, you know, just because this is the way we feed babies in North America doesn't necessarily mean it applies around the world. Although I should add that the benefits of human milk being perfectly matched to a developing infant's needs is well established in the literature around the world and accepted by every major health organization around the world. Yeah, absolutely. And it's such an interesting balance, Katie, because I came into this paper with my lactation management training. And I have I strongly support human milk for human babies, but I recognize that sometimes that also creates a barrier. If I am talking to a client about 
breastfeeding being the ideal human milk for an infant, I might create a situation where my client has different beliefs, would like to use commercial infant formula, but doesn't feel like they can talk to me about that. And so in writing this paper, I recognize the need to create a conversation where there are multiple feeding relationships can be discussed, whether it's breastfeeding, where it's partially breastfeeding, where it's feeding with commercial infant formula and doing it in a way that's not stigmatizing, that's not adding to what we sometimes call mommy wars. And so in doing that, I have heard of anecdotal cultural practices around complementary foods earlier than would be appropriate, um, using recipes that were passed down by generation and generation. And um, it is recognizing and supporting one's cultural heritage, but also discussing some of these practices around pasteurization and the use of commercial infant formula that includes, you know, those 29 micro and macronutrients that the infants need to thrive. So you've written a lot about the history of human milk alternatives or alternatives to maternal breastfeeding, such as wet nurses, especially in addition, like commercial efforts over decades to modify cow or goat milk to feed to babies. But in today's environment, knowing the advances that we know, like you are a nutrition and science professional, background in lactation, expertise in food safety. Just curious, does the threat that homemade infant formulas present today, is that different or how does it differ compared to decades or even centuries ago? Like, I just can't believe we're having this conversation. If you take the shortage out of it, like how are people still like messing around with the components of the milk that they feed their baby? Like that's mind blowing to me and that might sound insensitive, but I don't research this all day, every day. Yeah, and, and I actually have a similar reaction is we, there are so many components along this continuum of alternative infant feeding over, you know, hundreds of years. How are we in some cases back to where we were in the 1800s? It is also mind-blowing for me. And I mentioned the food insecurity. I mentioned the healthism. I mentioned that there are recipes that have been passed down, but what we're not taking into account is the, the regulation and the protection and the acts that have gone, um, that have been put into place. In particular, I'll talk about one, which is Congress enacted the Infant Formula Act of 1980. And in this act, they established a minimum requirement of those 29 nutrients with maximum amounts, remember we talked about kidney health, of nine of those nutrients. Um, and then most recently in 2016, they did also add selenium to bring it up to 30 nutrients. And so when I'm saying this list of 30, Katie, it's not just that these are necessary, but if we think of, sometimes I like to think about poison, that poison has a dose response, right? If we're thinking about how much a body can handle when it comes to poison, I like to think of that as the same analogy, like how many micro and macronutrients can a developing infant handle at a certain period that they're thriving and they're not having a toxic overload and leading to, you know, being significantly ill, having heart issues, having breathing issues and all of those things. So with this regulation, and it's actually interestingly part of why there was a little pause in bringing in more commercial infant formula as we were bringing new infant formulas in or outsource infant formulas into the United States. They also had to meet these regulations for the Infant Formula Act. and Which are different in Europe, slightly different. different. Yeah. But we agree on the major components. Like this is not just corn syrup with some other stuff you bought on Amazon mixed in. And so I think when we, again, that the health is in action, when we simplify it down, we lose the forest for the trees. Like we are talking about lots and lots of micronutrients and macronutrients in play at a really important time in your baby's life. I get parents, hey, I don't love the idea that the two, three major brands of formula in the United States have corn syrup in them or whatever it may be. Like there certainly are areas for improvement, but like literally throwing the baby out with the bathwater and making it from scratch is not the solution. Not the solution at all. And I'm really glad that you just brought up the corn syrup because in, in my article, I'm a little, I turn into a history nerd and I'm really fascinated at this relationship between breastfeeding and alternatives to breastfeeding over time. And in the 1940s, this homemade infant formula was a mixture of plain animal milk, 
So they included water, corn syrup, fruit juice to deal with vitamin C. And then there was some vitamin D added later on. And I just, you know, in the context of this conversation, if we were to ask moms that are even considering homemade infant formula, how do you feel about feeding your infant water, corn syrup, fruit juice, and vitamin D? I'm hoping for the most part, they're like, heck no. If it's a heck no, and we've come so far, why would you veer off of all of this research, all of these ingredients, all of these studies to just go at it on your own based on a TikTok or a website? I think that's what's most baffling. Just like you said, dismissing all of this research and all of these considerations for sort of this this strange... Which for something that honestly just appears to be trendy, I'm like, sorry, I don't care if it's trendy, it's your developing infant's brain irreversible brain damage, like those three case studies that you shared were chilling. Like I still feel my blood pressure high. Do you know Amy Bentley and her book, Inventing Baby Food? I don't. She's out of NYU. Oh my gosh, she's fabulous. So she was on the podcast. It's for those of you who might be here for a while. Episode 144 was called What Did Babies Eat Before Baby Food Was Invented? And it's Amy Bentley. She's a PhD out of NYU and her book is called Inventing Baby Food. And it's fascinating, but she goes through the history of the advent of commercial baby food. And that like, why you said it very nicely, but like inappropriate recommendations of starting solids at four months of age when we know nutritionally they don't need it and developmentally they're not prepared to safely swallow anything except infant milk. Well, then why do we sell it? Well, because it's to sell more baby food. She kind of goes through a lot of the history of that, but she also talks a little bit about the commercial infant formula market as well. Again, not a registered dietitian, not from a nutrition standpoint, but almost purely from a marketing standpoint. Yet that's so important to acknowledge that that's what's happening here is a lot of the misinformation is coming out of the same people who are trying to sell you the products that you know, we talk about toddler milk and I have no qualms. I speak regularly to our state WIC associations around the country about the detrimental effects of toddler milk for toddlers who should be drinking cow's milk and how it's an economic situation, how it's misinformation and it's marketing. And only in very, very rare medical conditions when a child is already being followed by a pediatric dietitian would toddler milk even play a role. And I think there's not a lot of professionals sometimes who are willing to stick their neck out and say that because obviously then you're going up against the formula company and everyone knows what happens then. But I do think it is important to address not just nutrition, but dietitians, especially to also be aware of the other economic factors at play here, in addition to just the micronutrients and the macronutrients. Absolutely. And it's interesting that you say this. And gosh, back when I was working on my postdoc, I actually wrote a paper. It's dated now, but I wrote a paper on the commoditization of infant formula and like how why is it that there's so much marketing attached to infant formula versus breastfeeding? And so I make an argument that when we're thinking about sustainable food systems, that breastfeeding should be part of the conversation and why isn't it? Now, I mentioned earlier in our conversation that I'm really, I think that I was such a strong advocate of breastfeeding and breast milk that I didn't recognize that there needs to be a concerted effort to talk about the role of commercial infant formula because I don't want the alternative to be homemade infant formula. I 100% agree. And the you talked about kind of the mommy wars and one unfortunate turn of events with the you know mainstream media finally starting to cover the infant formula shortages now. Well, well now I feel shamed for choosing formula. And that's not actually the issue here. We need to not turn this into mom versus mom formula versus breastfeeding. We need to look more at why are parents getting information about infant feeding from TikTok? No one cares if you're eating, drinking, feeding regular formula. Regular formula has some science behind it. You might not like the marketing practices. You might not like the way that the WIC state associations get the contracts for the formula. And those are definitely issues to discuss. But at the end of the day, this is a safe product for babies to have. Until it's not when we find the contamination, et cetera, in the Sturgis plant, and then there's that whole conversation. So it is such a multi, you know, very, very layered conversation. But what's so interesting about your article, it came out before all of this stuff all of the formula shortage stuff. This is an article that you guys started writing two years ago. And I promise you, the concerns about homemade infant formula will last even after the formula shortage is quote unquote resolved. Even if a stockpile is achieved, there will still be people getting this information and messing with a very, very important part of their infant's nutrition because they saw it as a trend on social media. And that's unfortunate. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And there will be people who are earning clicks, likes, influencing based on misinformation. And in this case, as, as we've talked about, there can be long-term permanent repercussions for infants. And at the end of the day, that is what we need to elevate above all else. Yeah, the TikTok trend is going to go away, but the irreversible brain damage in that five-month-old case study that you shared is not. I would imagine, Dr. Berman, that data on home and infant formula is pretty hard to obtain. Parents are probably unlikely to be readily admitting or disclosing that they're in a situation to either have to resort to making homemade infant formula And I'm just curious, is there any good national data on these practices versus what we're hearing? Um, Or this is just like strictly TikTok and other social media anecdotes and like this seems to be a trend. So when we were writing our paper, we worked with professionals um, in in pediatrics, in the National WIC Association, in the Infant um, Nutrition Council of America. There is some data available, but um, the argument is it's not robust because it's underreported. So the... Folks are less likely to disclose that they fully formula feed, which is unfortunate. I would like people to feel like they can disclose and and share that this is the choice that they've made for their family. Even more so, people are not disclosing that they are using homemade infant formula to a point where it is our anecdotal conversations are not aligning at all with the surveys. It's very underreported. It's also not aligning with all the likes and comments on social media posts about this. Like someone out there is watching this stuff and some of them are doing it. And you see the comments in some of these posts online, like people are actually doing this. This is not just like, oh, that's interesting and not for me. So when when we first were sort of workshopping this article, and as I mentioned, we took it to these different organizations to say, is what we're discovering aligning with what you're seeing? Because we want to be evidence-based. We want to partner with all of these different organizations. And they kept saying like, There just isn't data capturing it. So our team, just like you were saying, like, what is happening? Are people researching this? We went to Google Trends and we saw in April 2020, a huge increase in the search for homemade infant formula. My team, we still are in touch. Um, Just the other day, one of our members sent us a snapshot of a screenshot of Google Trends again. And people are not only searching homemade infant formulas in the way that they did in April 2020, but even more so now. And so do we have an exact number for you, Katie? No, but we do see that when people are going on Google, they're actively searching homemade infant formula. Well, at least the AAP is finally putting on their website, don't make homemade infant formula. Like that's a start. So Dr. Berman, for families struggling to afford or obtain commercially prepared infant formula, What resources do you recommend so that they don't have to resort to homemade infant formula recipes that they find online or on social media? Number one, engage a registered dietitian nutritionist. We here in Vermont at our community health um, center, we have free access to dietitians. So that can be a wonderful cost-effective way to connect with somebody who's practicing evidence-based nutrition and is a nutrition expert. Next, I would suggest that you seek referrals, that um, you seek referrals to specialists. You can work potentially with lactation support, with social services to connect you with, to address perhaps the economic side of the situation, but also connect you with these uh, this national emergency supply of infant formula, the, the national stockpiling. And I mentioned before that if you have any concerns around the public charge rule, for whatever reason, maybe directly or within your family, there is a local legal aid that can be available. Um, And again, that is free legal aid. I think I also mentioned tapping into your charitable food system. So that could be a food pantry, a food bank, prepared boxes. Let them know your need. And for most infants that do not need a specialized diet, you should be able to access free, readily accessible commercial infant formula. And for the 44.46% of babies born in the country in the WIC program, 
if you are not in the WIC program and you qualify economically for nutrition assistance from the WIC program in the United States, please seek out how you can get enrolled in WIC. We have lots of WIC content on our podcast, and we'll also share links in the show notes for this episode for how you can become enrolled in this program that can help you by providing free infant formula. And I loved in your paper, Dr. Bertman, that you guys did the breakdown on the cost of how many canisters of formula WIC provides for free. It was about at about $18 a canister, which I was like choking on my mouth because it's like $32 right now at my local grocery store. But when you did the paper, it was $18 a canister. And it's like upwards of $2,000 per baby of formula in the event that you choose not to or can't breastfeed. These resources are out there and WIC is still meeting the needs of parents even in the throes of the formula shortage. And I think we should normalize WIC and using these, these services. Heck yeah. When I was a doctoral student and I mentioned to you that I was working on WIC, I went to a conference, Fancy, and under secretary, Kevin Kakanen was speaking about WIC. And I was so excited about WIC and the policy and advocating for WIC. I stuck around and I talked to him and I said, I'm researching on WIC. And he looked at me and he goes, I participated in WIC. And so when you have somebody at one of the highest levels of U.S. government that is destigmatizing WIC and utilizing WIC, this is the type of message that I want to share and normalize. Half of all babies, guys. Half of all Half babies. Half of all babies. Why isn't this normal yet? You know, we actually just had um, Sunny Rudd on the podcast. So she's a mom. She's an also NYU grad student, single mom on WIC. She does these WIC grocery hauls on TikTok. She's just Sunny on TikTok. They're so awesome because she's showing in real life how she uses just the food she gets from WIC and works them into like delicious looking, amazing recipes like any other TikToker, but it's all coming from WIC and she's blowing up. Her baby's just about to start solid foods with baby led weaning. So we've been like watching like with anticipation and glee, but again, normalizing, utilizing this program that's there for you. And she said, you know, I deal with the backlash and people calling me a welfare queen and all that. But you know what? I'm on this platform, TikTok, where there's a lot of misinformation about the program and I'm here living it and sharing about it and trying to normalize it because it is my reality and it's providing me with foods to help fuel my family. And it's really cool just to see her doing that in the social media space. I think it's cool that high level policy people are, but like your average mom is not going to be at Fincy talking to the director of whatever, but they're going to be on TikTok and that's where moms are sharing their content too. So I think we, all we can do is to continue on our platforms with our communities to talk about resources so that we don't have to default to making homemade infant formula, because as you very eloquently, but also sadly put it, like there are real life consequences to this. And I want to thank you for sharing this and also for being willing to address this because it's volatile. And I think it's controversial in many regards. And I'm interested to hear our audience's thoughts about this as well, because we do need to be getting our feeding information from credentialed experts. And those who do not study history are doomed to repeat it. This is like my life goal at the end of my career, when I don't have to worry about making money and feeding my family, I want to put together a nutrition history course that every student in an accredited Ascend program who's studying to be a dietitian has to take. We need to understand the history of commercial infant formula and vitamin discovery so that we don't come full circle and have people just like on TikTok deciding that they want to take some of those nutrients out and you end up with babies with irreversible brain damage. And you're dialing right into it. I am such a history buff around infant feeding and I'm just so pleased that my team tolerated the fact that I was like, I just think that this needs to be part of the story and part of dietetic education. So we understand where we were and how far we've come. Absolutely. And I'm going to link to your article. I'm so just, again, I work in an era of social media and we, at this point, the average attention span on an Instagram reel is about six seconds and the months and years of expertise and the research and the experts you guys talk to, to publish this article is so important. I'm like, Parents need to know about this because it's the antidote to the six second evaporated or condensed milk TikTok for making infant formula. Like we need to see the research and the science that's gone into creating infant formula. And yes, it is a controversial topic for some things, but at the end of the day, if or if you can or you choose not to breastfeed, commercial infant formula is prepared in such a way that's safe for your baby and homemade infant formula is not. And in my recommendation to go see a registered dietitian nutritionist, this paper is written for rising dietitians or practicing dietitians. Well, I'm making it mandatory reading in my nutrition throughout the life cycle course. I'm serious. It's also, also the practice applications are a lot easier to read than some of the other articles, especially if you're teaching at the undergraduate level like I am. Well, thank you so much. This was such a wonderful conversation. And then could you just tell our audience 
where would they go to learn more about your team's work? And I will link the article, but if there's anything else we should be reading, if there's a place where we can go get it from you. Katie, we are an ad hoc team. We are from four different universities. And the way that we came together is we, right when COVID was hitting, we got together in a working group looking at potential problems that can arise from COVID. I am part of a research team called NFACT. And you can find more about the research that I'm doing with my UVM team through nfactresearch.org. Our work is on the food insecurity of COVID, but through that work, I discovered my co-authors. And independent of that research, we recognize that this practice paper was important. You have to get in touch with Amy Bentley because she's doing food insecurity stuff related to COVID in the New York area now, but historically did the Inventing Baby Food book. I think you guys would like, maybe she can join the ad hoc team. That would be amazing. These are such incredible people. I'm so lucky. Well, thank you for the incredible work you guys are doing. And I really appreciate your time and taking the time to explain to us in the background, because we really appreciate the work you do, especially as a registered dietitian and someone who educates future registered dietitians. We have a lot of feeding professionals who listen to the podcast, and I know they'll be very interested in your article as well, because we're all dealing with parents, you know, asking these questions and instead of just saying, no, it's bad. Well, here's the actual results of what happened. So thank you for bringing that to light. You're welcome. Well, it was my pleasure. Definitely a much longer interview than we normally do. But I just think the conversation about where we are getting our advice and our information from, and then just hearing those chilling case studies of the real life trickle down effect of a very dangerous social media trend is just, it literally broke my heart. I had to take a pause at the end of our interview and come back and record the outro. It might've been upsetting to some of you if you're still listening. I hope you had some value or took away some value from that conversation with Dr. Birdman. I'm very grateful to her and her team for doing that. If you are a dietitian, you know that we don't generally tackle topics of that nature in our journal. And I think it is important that we do, especially as credentialed feeding professionals and speaking to some of these harmful practices that we're seeing on social media. So all of Dr. Bertman's resources will be linked up in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at blwpodcast.com forward slash 252. Thank you for listening. From the terrifying power of tornadoes to sizzling summer temperatures, AccuWeather Daily brings you the top trending weather-related story of the day, seven days a week. You can learn a lot in just a few minutes with stories about impending hurricanes, winter storms, or even what not to miss in the night sky. So listen and subscribe to AccuWeather Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's AccuWeather Daily wherever you get your podcasts.